Good evening and welcome to the Viva Cause podcast. My name is Graham Spence and tonight I'm joined by Alison Graham. Hi Graham. How are you doing tonight, Alison? Yeah, very good. How's you? I'm good. We have a really interesting podcast tonight. There's been a lot happened in the last uh, 24 hours. That's... Yeah, the last... Yeah, the last few hours, even. It's pretty ridiculous. I mean, we thought we put a podcast out yesterday, the day before, and we thought we'd be done for the the week, and we're already back in the studio recording, this time without video. Exactly. Well, they used to say, a week's a long time in politics. It's like getting to the matter of days at the moment. So that's good, because things hopefully are starting to happen. But let's see. Let's see what happens over the next few days. Thank you for joining us, everybody. What you, what you don't know is tonight's podcast is uh, recorded in the car studio, so there's no video tonight as we record in the only quiet room we could find um, to get this podcast out. So the first thing on the agenda, obviously, is before we get to the, the new Westminster leader for the SNP, mm-hmm. there was an intervention by former Prime Minister um, Gordon Brown, along with Keir Starmer and Anna Sarwar, where they've decided a new constitutional future for the UK. Yes, very interesting. It's almost like uh, something you expect to happen at Christmas. Every time there's a sniff of something happening to do with independence, out comes Mr Brown with some uh, <laughs> some words of, you know, whether it's wisdom or not is, is up to for debate. But yeah, I think it was very interesting. There's a lot to kind of unpick there and what was actually said. Um, it was certainly positioned as something very radical, Although on reading it, I think uh, you know that's a that's a lot, of he- that's a lot of a lot of hev- heavy lifting <laughs> on <laughs> on radical, yeah. Very ambitious, isn't it? Very very unambitious, but sounds ambitious. Well, it's back to the old Labour spin. It's like you know how to dress something up. It's yeah. something that it's actually not when you even cast a cast a cursory glance across the detail. So, yeah, there was a lot of kind of like. Um, pomp and ceremony about that this was going to be something very, very different and very radical and something that we should all sit up and take notice of. But um, when you actually do read it, and I think you commented on on Twitter about it, that, you know, anybody who's actually read it, you know... Will be uninspired. Uninspired. So I think they're just assuming people won't read it. Hopefully people are now starting to get more engaged and not just leave things at headline words and spin and actually go and see what the substance is. The, the, the best take I've seen on Twitter, actually, the other day was that what, someone posted the Titanic meme where it said, it's been 84 <laughs> years. Right. And somebody pointed out it's actually been more than 84 years they've been promising to abolish the House of Lords. It's pretty much 100 years, I think. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Um, and it, it's interesting because people do now, with like Twitter and every, all the kind of social media platforms, they dig things up from the archives, like the original posters and stuff from from Labour and what they promised and you reflect it, you know, are Labour now just Labour in name only? Yeah. Back to the origins of... of well, they're, know, they're not even supporting the trade unions well, exactly. right now. There's a ban, isn't there, exactly. on frontline exactly. and attendance. I think, and I think that's one of the, some of the key achievements of the Labour movement are now things that they absolutely distance themselves from. Indeed. So, you know, it's hard, I think, as, as the electorate now to know, one, who to believe and two, have find something or a party that um, actually represents their views, so yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting piece of paper. I think the summary of it was abolish the House of Lords. We're all getting a mayor imposed on us. It was very it's worked well because we've got a couple of Labour mayors in some cities, so we should have more of that sort of thing. It felt very much to me like we're going to abolish the House of Lords, but we're going to keep the MPs the most important part. So we're getting rid of the whole 
House of Lords to replace it, not with anything of any substance. Everybody's exactly. a bit like we're going to have this weak chamber that that's elected, but not more supreme than MP. I suppose to get the MPs to vote for it, you'd have to say that they weren't going to lose any power. But the truth is, a second chamber can't be. I mean, you can't have. I mean, the lower chamber is always the sort of policy chamber, I suppose, in every democracy around the world. However, you can't have a second chamber that has all the power. And then, if the second, if the upper chamber, the second chamber has nothing, yeah, there's no point. Well, I mean, at the moment in the UK, it's a revising chamber, and actually, even people who are, you know, opposed to the House of Lords, um, were quite grateful sometimes for them to be there for some of the things. They're a good blocker the for the mad stuff. The yeah. things, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, that comes back to the whole, the whole democratic sham of the UK. The fact that we have an unwritten constitution, <laughs> we don't have any higher law to pin things on. I mean, it, it, it's actually all starting to kind of unravel. Um, and the, the more scrutiny people put in to do something like this, which is essentially designed to look as if they're being radical, but if you unpick it, you know, as you're just yeah. saying, um, to say, what does that actually mean? It doesn't actually mean more democracy. No. It just means a labour definition of democracy. Yeah. And I think we'll absolutely come on to reflect on that as goes Scotland, because that's the bit that's so galling for viewers in Scotland as to, you know, the definition of Labour's democracy and you know Scotland's right to it, mm-hmm. um, you know under their very much under their terms. So um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the the other things you know to, to kind of look at in in there, the fact that Labour have not been in power in Scotland. They're not even the second party in Scotland, and they are in opposition in the UK Parliament. Yet they're the ones defining what democracy looks like. It really is quite kind of quite hard to take. I think for for people because they don't seem to have learned from their time in the wilderness of power to actually listen to the people. You know, where where are they getting this as the appetite of the population? Gordon Brown talked about federalism back yeah. in twenty fourteen, like it was, you know, a done deal. And now they've entirely moved away from that position. Uh, after promising it. After promising it. And uh, guaranteeing and, it. And in guarantee the it and you know, guaranteeing everything that Scotland would have if they voted no. So they've actually properly underlined why Scotland need to go back and revisit the constitutional question in whatever form that, you know, going back and looking at it looks like. Because at the moment, there's been a lot of focus on the mechanism rather than actually the conversation in Scotland and, you know, the people of Scotland having those opportunities. It's a phenomenal point. It is a constitutional reform document that's going to impact every single person's life according to Labour and transform them. However, did they ask anyone? I don't believe so. I mean, they fell out with each other internally about yeah. it, so that they didn't, their lords weren't too happy about it. And I understand Keir Starmer didn't really rock the boat as much as Gordon Brown did, as much as he's rocking the boat. I mean, it's brave to call it a it's rock. More, it's more of a pedalo. <laughs> a sh- like, a <laughs> Exactly. One of those little plastic pedalos on yeah, a, a little kid's pond or something. Don't <laughs> sit down, sit down, don't stand up, you're rocking it. Yeah, can <laughs> it, there was a song about that at one point. But no, they didn't ask anyone. And then secondly, the, the, the thing that I find most amusing about Gordon Brown's intervention and kind of this grand statement is it's on the back of the Supreme Court defeat where, you know... W- the argument is now through a plebiscite election and such and through a referendum is Scotland can only get its independence when the polls show 60, 65% pro-independence when it's so fait accompli that there wouldn't even be a point in holding the vote. We've now gotten at the situation where that vote, any referendum for Scotland to be out of the UK would have to be 50% plus one vote. The same as the Northern Ireland border poll which is, a, you know, to leave the UK 
it's 50 plus, 50% plus one. Yet when we come for constitutional change to change the whole of the UK as it is, the mother old parliaments, the you know the the birthplace of modern democracy, the the, the world's light and all this rubbish. We can do it with a simple majority of seats. It, yep. I mean, for some people, I would be arguing, I think I'd join them, actually, is that Scotland can open independence negotiations in the majority of seats. That should well, be our opening gambit. Which is basically where we've been since 2015. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's so hypocritical to say, you know, that they're imposing, that they can do whatever they like if they win power. And yet they say that Scotland, but it's different in Scotland. You know that mm. they, they can't. I mean, to be fair, the fifty percent plus one of the of the popular vote was actually Nicola Sturgeon that mm-hmm. said that. You know, which seems like an incredibly, you know, ridiculous bar to set yourself mm-hmm. when you know it's never been achieved, even with fifty six MPs in twenty fifteen. Off a very positive bounce of a very motivated the, independence movement. Meanwhile, the House of Lords could now be abolished and impose the second legislative chamber with yeah. a whole democratic vote. And Scotland might completely lock, stock, and barrel vote against it. Exactly. But we've seen what happened with Brexit. That'll mean not a hoot. Not a hoot. Not a hoot. So there is a democratic deficit there. It's interesting that Keir Starmer, Anna Sarwar, Gordon Brown are out there, and I've seen some of the Labour people run around shouting about constitutional change and how only Labour can bring this about and only a majority, uh, a majority of seats or a Labour government can make this happen. And it just infuriates me because it, it just seems that the bar is now set so high for us but so low for everybody else. Yeah. And the other thing is the Tories will just come in with a better amendment. I mean, we've done this before. Labour have looked promising before. Jeremy Corbyn looked promising. We've, we, we've, had, we've had Labour leaders that look promising. And then we get to an election, the voters down south bottle it because, quite frankly, the, the Labour law... I mean, It doesn't take much. Like a bacon sandwich did it for Ed Miller. Exactly. <laughs> be, I mean, we're only one rogue breakfast away. I mean, Keir Starmer's, you know, what, what sort of... He has some dry toast or something to make sure that it can't be... What do you like for it? Oh, I had a plate of bran flakes before it came out. <laughs> we can't risk a breakfast derailing the whole movement. But, you know, the voters will bottle it at the last minute and we'll get another Tory government that'll have their own you know, improvement on the House of Lords. We've got, there's the news that Michelle Moan, she's taking a break from the House of Lords just now because they're busy, there's some investigation going on there. Yeah. It's, it feels like an argument we don't want to be in. It's like a... Yeah. What does it it actually tell us, though? It tells us that, you know, the Scottish government don't seem to be taking, you know, the, the Supreme Court catalyst seriously, but by God, the unionists are. They're jumping in with... Hold your constitutional change. We're getting in there first. We've got our beach towel down across. It's like evil all over again, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But they're also trying to normalise constitutional change on their terms. Yeah. And you know, which requires no referendum. Exactly, and you know, the the whole thing that we've been absolutely again found wanting, and you know, the the supposed leadership of of an independence movement, is that you know this should have been predicted. Why are they surprised by any of this? The British are nothing if not, you know, predictable. Yeah. So all these things. I mean. You know, people who are interested in political strategy, you know, have looked in games at all these things. But we, you know, people people like that don't aren't ter- terribly in politics. You know, but they're they're looking at all the kind of the, the the possible factors, including the external ones. And we also always seem to get stuck in the what we are going to do. And I think the first minister actually said at one point, "Time is on my side against Boris yeah, Johnson." It's, it's like not. it's not actually about your time. It's about, you know, Scotland and it's about looking at the right strategic, you know, preparation so that when events come up, 
you can, you know, capitalise on that yeah. and you can actually get your optimal time. You, you said the other day about the, the election, and I know we're going to come on to talk about the, the Westminster SNP group. Let's bounce um, on it. Yeah, but, you know, it's just um, the timing, you're right, you said you know, in the last podcast, is not great. But, you know, it, it shouldn't be not great. They've known there's a problem. Fix it when you're not in the spotlight. They've known the Supreme Court's coming up. All these events are in the diary. You know, mm-hmm. they know that that's coming up. This should have been solved over the summer. They should have been getting yeah. people together, working out what the dissatisfaction was, what they can change. But it just seems, you know, we've now we've now shuffled seats and, you know, we'll need to see how that actually I, plays out. I think my glimmer of credit to them is I didn't realise this. I actually invited both the candidates on the podcast, <laughs> yeah. but none of them took us up on it. I didn't realise they were going to get it done in a matter of two days. Like, it was very much Ian's yeah. out, oh, campaign's begun, votes been held. To be honest, it's a credit to the SNP for actually managing to achieve something. That's the quickest I've seen anything happen in the SNP. <laughs> we've yeah. managed to shuffle the, the Westminster leader. But, but supposedly the independ- uh, the conference to talk about independence is now supposed to be March. Yeah, well, it'll get delayed. I mean, the yeah. independence is clearly not a priority of the well, SNP. Yeah. It's not a... They, I mean, they are good elections. That's I what mean, they specialise in. Gordon Brown came out and he's made his big constitutional thing. And this, this kind of ties into the SNP leadership election. Because as he's making this constitutional battle or re- reform and he's dragged Labour... And I don't know why we've got Gordon Brown back out the closet, but we've wheeled him back out the cupboard and we've he's gave you... A speech, and you know, I think they called it a barnstormer, but they say that every time he makes a speech. And to be honest, it's just he's just a loud man. I mean, well, it's, just... it's another British celebration of failure. He's somebody who got handed power and then lost, lost it quite quickly. Yeah, so you know, he's been rejected at the ballot box, mm-hmm. you know, by by the British public, and yet he's the person we turn to. It's like you know, if you're looking for strategists, look for somebody who actually succeeds. Yeah. So, you know, you have to question what the relevance is. It is almost like the grand old statesman, um, you know, to, to reel out. And where is he in the interim between this stuff? You know, like, you know, he seems yeah. to come out at specific events. So I think in many ways what their manoeuvres are telling us now is suddenly Scotland's bothering them. So suddenly they are, you know, yeah. they think there's a risk there. The problem is I don't believe the Scottish government actually are in any urgency to do anything about it. I mean, so, I mean put, put it quite bluntly, the, the Scottish government's Westminster arm, the SNP group in Westminster, you know, we've got Gordon Brown rolling out constitutional change, we've got Rishi Sunak running around basically making it up on the hoof, we've got Liz Truss in the gutter, the Tories are down, Labour are up, and the Westminster group were having an internal fight with each other about who's the best to represent Westminster. So let's come on to that. Let's come on to it. So we've now got Stephen Flynn and Mary Black, which yeah. I understand you've got a bit of insight here. There was a bit of a, a deficit of democracy in that. Yeah, well, it was pointed out that the, the vote was 26-17, I think, for Stephen Flynn mm. against Alison Thulis, who, you know, many people thought was the kind of establishment, yeah. you know, the, the kind of status quo candidate. But what I found really kind of weird, and actually Alison had had tweeted and I had replied what's you know there was a picture of her with Stuart McDonald mm. who um the covered old Michael Scythe um Stuart McDonald is her running mate and I was like this is like a US presidential, presidential election, ticket. Yeah. How bizarre is that? And like you know an internal election, you know, for an AGM for running the group. Surely you would think there would be um a, an election for a, a group leader and also an election for a deputy leader that doesn't have to be people who have agreed, you know, to, to kind of pay it up. Surely well, the democracy of the group would be, the old, they can choose, but that's not what happened. No, and the old deputy leader didn't even stand down, just decided to clear off as well. Yeah. Um, so 
that there's an exclusive for you guys that you might not have known. Uh, effectively, there should have been two elections. There should have been Westminster Group Leader and then there should have been a, a, a vote for the Deputy Leader. However, yeah. they both ticketed themselves off and agreed that it was a joint battle, which yeah. which I understand, and I don't know which MPs, but it was, it was said online that certainly a lot of people switched allegiances at the last minute because Mary Black had gone in under Stephen Flynn and that's why Alison Thewlis suddenly had... I hope so. I understand there was a bit of consternation there. Um, again, we don't have any names to put to that yet. What I did notice though is in the group photo, um, Angus Brennan McNeil was missing, which doesn't surprise me. I think the vote was an online vote, so I'm not saying they didn't vote. Yeah. But Angus Brennan McNeil was missing, which is quite like the guy because I think he'd probably be he'd prefer to be going talking about Scottish independence to literally anybody who'd listen rather yeah. than... So it looks like somebody didn't vote because yeah. there was 2617 and what's there now 44 because Patrick yeah. Grady obviously lost the whip or resigned the whip. So I think that is interesting. It's also the kind of... What, what happens to the MPs who wanted Stephen Flynn as the, the leader, but you know, Stuart McDonald as the deputy, yeah, they don't get that choice, no. and that's a bit I think is really bizarre. And it's almost you know, representative of the kind of Hobson's choice that the electorate feel a lot of the yeah. time. They like independence, but they don't agree with all the SNP policies, but it's like winner takes all, yeah, which is ironic considering that's a very British, you know, view of democracy rather than you know, giving the electorate a choice and. You know, certainly, you know, referendums are commonplace in certain countries like Switzerland, etc. Yeah. You know, citizen assemblies are used, you know, very successfully in Ireland and other countries. We seem to have such a such a, a, a small opportunity to engage in politics. Is it any wonder well, so many people it? don't? Ca- California, in the last presidential election or the the house election it was the house election that just was Mm -hmm. they did they not have something was it not like 26 propositions that had to be voted on in addition to just voting for your candidates so they see it as very much a every couple of years you get you you get mini referendum on lots of different things you know they've had lots of unpopular they've had propositions on abortion they've had propositions on uh, marijuana they've had Propositions they've had on all sorts, and they've they've basically they use that quite frequently as a barometer of what they should or shouldn't do, and they don't bind themselves to that. It's not, you know, they don't say this proposition will pass and therefore it is law. The, the proposition is to get the general feeling of the public before they yeah. hammer out the specifics yeah. in law. And I think that's really important, and that's where we are very let down, you know, in in politics here and democracy here, because you know we were just saying earlier about Labour. They've they've three people who've not been elected. Um, by the electorate, neither Gordon Brown um, as leader or Keir Starmer or, well, Anna Sarwar was, you know, shuffled, you know, the spin the bottle stop to him with Scottish mm-hmm. Labour last time. So, you know, he's leader, he's never been elected, he's not, not even been well, in Labour opposition. Aren't in any manifesto. No, exactly. Labor. But but yet they can, uh, without really taking the temperature of the electorate, they can propose your know, fundamental constitutional change. And, you know, if they win, they will say they have a mandate to do that. I forget the name of their two mayors. Um, Burnham's one, Andy Burnham. Burnham Manchester. Yeah, and they've got the London mayor. Oh, Sadiq Khan. Sadiq Khan, that's it. Sadiq Khan and Andy Burnham. So they've got two mayors, which is probably the most electable Labour have been recently. That's very Labour area. No, but but they they also... didn't stand on the central party manifesto. They didn't. They, they, they had a very. Yeah. Di- uh, Sadiq Khan actually had a very mm-hmm. different. 
you know, uh, Asprey European. It was it was very. Well, it's funny because the London mayor, particularly, I mean, Johnson was obviously London mayor, and yeah. Labour, uh, London's not a particularly kind of right wing. You know, they tend to kind of vote Labour, so it is very much seen on that. You know, the the candidate themselves, and yeah. you know, which is very kind of a bit presidential, personality, isn't presidential, it? exactly. Um, and I think you know that Manchester, obviously, you know, again. I think, you know, it, it's such a big, big city and I think they almost see themselves as a little bit, like, mm-hmm. separate. So I don't think it really takes the, the pulse of the whole country. No, it doesn't. So, yeah. But it is interesting, the two places they have been successful, they've not run on the main country Keir Starmer vision yep. for Labour. I don't know what we call it. It's not new Labour anymore. It's like... I think it's very hard to see what Keir Starmer's vision is. It's, it's like kind of all it's over like, the place. It's like the paper thin from the Tories. Like, the, the Tory Labour vision... Yeah, what well, is it is. It? It's like you know, we want to we want to be in government, but we're not saying anything that's really going to change things. Well, we're we're not them. We're not the Tories. Well, isn't it interesting? They're looking back a hundred years to their promises of the House of Lords, mm. and yet they're not. They would not consider rolling back Brexit. Yeah, they, they've been pretty you know red line yeah. on part of the button red line on uh, on Brexit. Yeah. So, which is essentially, I mean, the EU at its root isn't constitutional change. It's not. It's a trade deal. It's a big trade deal. It's mm-hmm. a trade and transport and immigration and everything. But the European Union is a trade deal rather than... It's not constitutionally. Our, like The UK and Scotland doesn't transform in any way. It's, it, it's a member of a bigger yeah. game. But it's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't change the laws of the country you're in. Yeah, but in the way they've tackled it, it's like you can't go there. You can't touch that. That's like sacrosanct. Yeah. And yet they're looking at the constitutional thing, that, but that's fine. Uh, yet using the same argument against Scotland that well you can't break a union of three hundred years. The union is actually a hundred years old because it's actually you know Ireland's you know yeah. joined Ireland, Ireland left. So yep. we're we're reaching the hundred year anniversary of the UK as it is. As you've pointed out before, even in the Commons Library, it does actually state that the the union is an evolving union. Yeah. It's, so so effectively, yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't realise that that the union. I mean, it was brought up. Dorothy Bain brought up in her submission. Um, as Lord Advocate during the yep. Supreme Court case, she said that, you know, technically the Union of the Kingdoms of England and Scotland no longer exists because it evolved to have Wales, it evolved to have uh, Ireland, it evolved to have Northern Ireland, it yep. evolved. It's been through a lot of significant change, and you know, the, the Union we have now, if you t- if it was sans Scotland, if you ripped Scotland out, it, the Union would, would still, still exist. Yeah. It's still the successor state. Would still be the United Kingdoms of you know Northern Ireland, um, Wales, and England. Although there's an interesting thing, totally off topic, and uh, you know I'm probably going to get pelters for this, but is Northern Ireland a country? Here's an interesting one. So I, I I looked into this thinking Northern Ireland, you know, doesn't it doesn't does it qualifies its own country? Is it not its own country? And it's interesting because it it is its own country in the codification of the United Kingdom. They see Northern Ireland as a kingdom, as a country, the same as Scotland. Um, but then internationally, it's seen as more as a protectorate, or a, it's not seen with the same sort of... It's not It's not its own country. It's not as, as countrified as France or Germany. But it's interesting, because I think in an international sort of way, they're seen as this protectorate, and in the UK, they're seen as a country. Yeah. And then Scotland is seen as a country quite naturally internationally. And the I think most people are shocked to find out that Scotland and England and the UK, I think they're they're shocked off the how the whole relationship actually is. I don't think people understand the yeah. division lines in there are different. 
Yeah, and I think that's a really key point, and you know, it comes to you know, carry on what we we're saying before about education and political education and actually understanding the the kind of subject area you're looking at, and we, there's not enough explanation of the facts and I think you know the whole thing of experts you know Michael Gove saying you're know, fed out of experts you know really you know that's a, that, that is such a con you know if we don't know the as is and understand it as it is you know in the legal you know there's lots of there's lots of um, factors and layers to it you know there's the legal layer there's the Political layer, democratic layer, everything. Don't and, look behind the curtain. Yeah, exactly. And and what and ultimately the most important thing is what the people think because you know the definition of being an independent country is when other states recognise you as an independent mm-hmm. country. So you know there's two things for Scotland going forward. We have to understand you know and the Supreme Court in a way has been very helpful in kind of explaining you know where legally we stand. But you know even even the definition of Scotland is legally not a colony. If Scotland can't find a way out, if the people feel like they're in a colony, of you mm-hmm. know, which may be a bit of an extreme way to, to put it, but if they feel that there is no democratic door, that there's any key that they can actually get hold of without mm-hmm. somebody else's permission, then the, the kind of net effect is dissatisfaction amongst the population, which well, starts to agitate well, and create the I momentum mean, Scotland, that we actually need. Scotland's a clearer country than Northern Ireland, and again, I'm aware that I'm probably going to stoke some division here, but... I mean, the 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 Republicans and the Nationalists in Northern Ireland certainly don't see Northern Ireland as a country. They see Ireland as a country, and they are the island of Ireland. yeah, the island of Ireland. They see mm-hmm. that as a country that they they think that their area should then join. Mm-hmm. And then if you go into the Unionists and the sort of Loyalist side, they see Northern Ireland as not a thing. It's it's all one Great Britain. It's all yeah. one. It's all one United Kingdom. Yeah. They are. They don't Brit- see the Irish Sea. They do, Yeah, they do. Yeah. They, you know, they they see it as invisible. So there's yeah. a whole. I mean, if we can say the 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 uh, the the Northern Ireland Act in nineteen is it nineteen ninety eight nineteen ninety eight yeah, if we can say in that that it codifies that they are entitled to a referendum and it recognises their status, it's ridiculous. We can't just copy and paste that yeah. to Scotland. There's something really interesting in that. So in the Northern Ireland Act nineteen ninety eight. They talk about a border poll. They're not talking about a border with the UK. No. They're actually talking about a border with Ireland. Indeed. Which is interesting because no, the, the you know six counties you know are part of the UK, mm-hmm. but in their primary legislation from the UK government, the border that they are actually discussing is the border with Ireland. Ireland yeah. So I've always found that quite interesting. Also, the fact that that is in primary UK legislation, the whole thing with the kind of one such generation stuff, I was thinking about mm. that earlier on today, that um, you know, because I, I kind of thought, why did, we've missed a trick in 2012 when the, in, mm-hmm. you know, the Edinburgh Agreement was being discussed why was that not put in there and then I thought, well, I was thinking about it after and thought, well that's almost like saying, well we're not expecting to win so we're, you know, we're, yeah. we're getting our thing in but after the referendum was lost, when the, the Smith Commission, which does say in paragraph 18, that basically this doesn't stop, you know, yeah, looking at this again, but it doesn't actually put it in, you know, formally to say, you know, in line with the primary mm-hmm. legislation in, in the Northern Ireland, that it would be, you know, seven years. And I think had that been done in 2014, I think it was 2015 actually, the Smith Commission came out, um, if that was there, seven years is, is you know, 2022. 20, mm-hmm. And it would have taken away any of the the, the concern of, of how do we do this again? We did mm. it once, 
you know, we've dropped the key. Where do we put it? Is it down the back of the sofa? How do we, how do, we also, do it again? It's a lack, of, a lack of intelligence on behalf of the UK government side as well. Because when you come to things like precedent and everything, they, they sing about this Section 30 as though it's the greatest precedent in the world. The truth is, the 65 countries that have left the United Kingdom None being former colonies yeah. or whatever, there was no Section 30 of the Scotland Act to refer to. No. So the idea that this is the only lens that we should look at this yeah. is absolutely farcical. Now, if they had been smart, mm-hmm. now, uh, seven years is the precedent that's already set, but they could have said 10, they could have said 12, yeah. they could have, you know, there was a negotiation there, they could yeah. have said 25, they could have said 50, they could yeah. have said, this is, you know, define your generation. Now, usefully, it has been defined. The, yeah. the, 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 Nor- the Northern Ireland Act tells us it's seven years. And I've always had a feeling that, you know, Scotland's future was, you know, inextricably linked to Ireland's Indeed. for a number of reasons. And because of the situation in Ireland, which thankfully you know we've never had in, in Scotland, they are very, very resistant to, to uh, even though the, the, you know the, they've tried to the Brexit thing, mm-hmm. like tamper with it. They know the US. There's a huge Irish caucus in the US. Yeah. They know that's a, a, a kind of tri nation, you know, international agreement, the Good Friday Agreement. Yep. So, you know, I don't. I think it's beyond their boldness to try and change anything. Yeah. In, in so the, they, so not going to do uh, that. It's just whether or not we can hold them to the same. Well, if we can't, then it's not unequal. You know, yeah. it, 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 there is definitely a case there to say, why would it apply to one part of the the it's UK also, and not another? It's also kind of incumbent the international community. So if you're listening. President Biden would quite like you to say we're we're guarantors of the Good Friday yeah. Agreement. We'd love to see this policy rolled out yeah. in favour of democracy. Exactly. However, before we run over time, because we are well, this is at half an hour, and we had intended to wrap up at half an hour, we need to discuss quite quickly um, Stephen Flynn and Mary Black. They're the new voices in yeah. Westminster. Mm-hmm. Um, we've covered kind of their election and that process, but. Stephen Flynn's a bit... Uh, I mean, we've read the Mandy Rhodes article, which is a bit wishy-washy. It's a, yeah, it's a fun article. There's not much in that. And it was early days. Early but the information we have on Stephen Flynn knows it wouldn't have been Sturgeon's choice. Well, I don't, I don't think, think she's think, terribly upset. I don't think Alison Doulis would have stood had you know Stephen Flynn been... It would have been a kind of coronation mm-hmm. if he'd been there. So I think that was more indicative of you know trying to kind of calm the waters down as we said at the, the, the last podcast i think this has been bubbling for quite a long time of dissatisfaction and there's been a lot of talk about the you know the five sides group the, yeah. the tuesday club whatever um and a lot of kind of rumblings there so he seems to be the representative of that so you know the the, the kind of character the agent for change kind of thing I thought it was really interesting that they kind of, as I said before, I think democratically, I, I just kind of grinds my gears that they, you know that they are they they don't have a choice and they're setting the tone as politicians yeah. for the the kind of electorate. So I, I think that that was really bad form. It should have been a, a vote for one and then a vote for the other, um, and maybe potentially more people have stood forward at that point for for deputy, which I think would have been healthy. The fact Ian Blackwood stood down so late in the day really probably made it quite difficult for people to kind of consider yeah. you know would they would they stand um if Ian had not been standing down they would have maybe thought we're just going to let them mm. fight it out Stephen Flynn and uh and Ian Blackford but I mean we have a blog post on it and yeah. Ian Blackford was nothing for I mean he had contributed to the great yeah but there's a wider question wider question can the SMP MP group in its current format and through the relative lack of strength of us can it actually make a difference? Is is there a point? Are they stronger for Scotland as a tartan bench? Is it 
Well, if if the rumours are true, and the reason there was a lot of rumblings is that they were fed up of you know not having autonomy down there yeah. to do what they needed to do yeah. to actually make a difference, they were being you know like you know hamstrung by Hollywood. Um, and sometimes making themselves look a bit like arties, to be honest. Like yeah. they were, they were going to press and saying, you know, policy things, and then you know, Nicola would put out a tweet, and suddenly it was like, you know. Well, remember the fox hunting quick thing. Quick U-turn. Remember the fox hunting thing. We, we, the were welfare down, bill as well. We were down in, yeah. we were down in Westminster. I was there at the time. Mm-hmm. But honestly, fox hunting. We got more emails about it than anything else that ever happened I think anything to do with animals always generates an awful lot so we had fox hunting and the SNP put an initial statement that was like oh we roll again we you know we're completely against this this is ridiculous it should be outlawed immediately how come the government's so backward and hadn't done this mm-hmm. and then it was exposed about three days later in like the Daily Mail or something that actually Scotland even had less laws around fox hunting and had a more lax thing and then there was the sort of news that came out it was like right play it down don't uh, you know we can advocate against it the scottish government's going to be against it no worrying about that but we didn't realize actually it's a devolved matter and we aren't anywhere on it we've not looked at this we've not we need to get it through and you know it was a big it was a big sort of the Scottish government was found to be behind Westminster. Yeah. While they, while on their morality and their thinking on it was certainly further ahead, they didn't actually made any progress. And there was suddenly this sort of, oh God, the Scottish government's going to have to jump ahead. The thing is, though, that shows the lack of like Fortunately. research, the, the yeah. lack of understanding of your own asses. I mean, if it was that important, why did they not look to change it within their own powers? And that would have been the have, show up. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is what you know. I think a lot of people expect in 2015 that it was an opportunity for us to have a Scottish government in Holyrood and the ma- vast majority of MPs down there and show what we could do. We, we could take devolution to the edge of its power yeah. and say, we're at the brick wall, what else? And get mm. the MPs to, to agitate on our behalf there. That that really hasn't happened, and we're now in situations that legislation going through Hollywood is likely to get pulled down from UK acts, mm-hmm. and you know, we've just had it. You know that the UN woman. Yeah, that UN woman. I know. I mean, how to how to person how that to, UN person. We didn't, we didn't well, even give her the gosh. credit of being a woman. I know. So you know how to win international friends and influence. You know, yeah. but I mean, it really is. That was it's the same something. UN that we're taking our exactly. our independence yeah. case to. That that would be the, that UN then. Yeah, we've upset the special. So here's here's a thought. Here's a thought. So Sinn Fein are an abstentionist party. Yeah. So they don't take their seats in Westminster. They don't get any money from Westminster. This was topical today because Wings is running the. Stuart Campbell, who we need to invite on. We well, need absolutely. To, it would be good yeah. to have Stuart on the podcast because, yeah. you know, he, he rails up an awful lot of people. But we need some railing figures. Absolutely. We need, debate should never be suppressed. But he's saying there's an awful lot of money getting fed to the SNP machine. So mm-hmm. because of this money, they're never going to really push for independence because there's too many pay packets that are, that are needing this money. Sinn Féin don't get that money because they're abstentionists. And when you don't take your seat, you can't draw expenses. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they still get short money. I think I, they do. I think they get some money to run offices and stuff. Like, yeah. constitutionally, but they don't. No, I don't think they, they do. Ha- they have access to committee rooms. Do they? Stuff, I think. Yeah. No, 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 they don't get as much. They definitely let's, get... let's do our research on we, that we and come should, back. We should do yeah, some research. Sure, sure, we should. But yeah. the abstentionist party, and beside the point of them getting any money, they don't go to parliament. In fact, they won't swear allegiance to the the king, queen, monarch. They don't recognise the parliament. Yeah, well, they don't recognise the parliament either. But you get into this ridiculous situation where I've got a good story about that. Do you think Mm -hmm. 
the SNP have demonstrably delivered more for Scotland than Sinn Féin have. Well, I can prove that... I knew you were going to have something. Because during the um, initial, you know, know, evacuation of the refugee crisis from Ukraine, um, a very good friend of mine went over to the Ukrainian-Polish border Mm. and, long story short, ended up rescuing a wee family whose grandparents were in Scotland. And... He, the whole thing with the visa, the family visa system was typical UK. It was all, you know, mm. all promises with no actual action. So we were trying to, you know, I was on the phone to him and trying to work out where to go next and speaking to everybody that I knew who had any level of influence. Yeah. You know, calling the contacts, getting exactly, it up a bit. exactly. You know, the, 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 the MP of the grandparents' office didn't even reply. Mm-hmm. Didn't answer the phone, didn't reply, didn't reply to emails. My MP, let's not even go there. But, you know, other people really did help. And they also had constituents who were mm-hmm. trying to get, you know, family across, etc. So, long story short, we were all trying to rumble through this and kind of a wee sport network, trying to kind of help each other out. Well, I've heard this and I, I believe you go to Belgium, blah, blah, blah. Oh, no, that office is shut, the embassy shut, blah, blah, blah. So, long story short, my friend who is Irish, um, a Scottish independence supporter, he's Irish, he's a member of Sinn Féin. He got, eventually we got the... Shock the ferry to Wexford. He's a a Scottish (laughs) independence supporter. Exactly. Shocks me. (laughs) And went to Wexford from Sherbrooke, I think it was, in France. France. So he got over there and he said the the Sinn Fein rep basically met them off the boat, sorted out, you know, gave personal money, like, you know, Mm -hmm. what what do they need? You know, everything sorted out, totally enveloped in kindness. And interestingly, going through the visa process once we got there, because the visa actually wasn't even online yeah. until the Friday even though they were talking yeah. about the Monday so doing all this in Ireland was much easier than trying to do it anywhere else at that point point. Um, and Ireland actually got a little bit overwhelmed so my point is when we were trying to chase the visa process he was going through you know, the Scottish MPs mm-hmm. and whatever and they were saying oh we're phoning the Home Office we're phoning this we'll get back to you the Sinn Féin guy doesn't, doesn't take his seat mm-hmm. he came back with an answer from the Home Office the British Home Office and the MPs, the SNP MPs, which he's a member of the, that party mm. as well, um, you know, were nowhere. And mm. yet th- they had no influence at the Home Office. And yet the Sinn Féin MP, or the Sinn, you know, he, he, who doesn't take his seat, yeah. got an answer directly Probably because he shows no deference to it. He's just like, I well, want this, this I, is happening. I think there is a lot of that exactly yeah. true. There's a lot of attitudes. And, you know, you look at Mary Lou McDonald when she's speaking and you think, you know... Put Nicola Sturgeon up against her. Suddenly, yes. she doesn't look quite as you know yeah, impressive. You've, you've got there is no difference. There's no rudeness. It's very professional, but there's no difference. It's there's, like there's this very is much of you this the is a decision for the people here. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, but this is this is a decision. They've normalised change that it's happening. It's happening. I just anyway. I just haven't seen. I, j- I just don't know if the SNP was an abstentionist party didn't turn up if it wouldn't be in a better position. Well, the, the members have never been given the choice. No, they've not. And it's, I mean, to be fair, and I think... It's not well, that we're arguing for it on the podcast. We're just, no, just we're speculating that... It's really you know, for the members. But, I mean, yeah. is it a membership organisation anymore? That's the other question. Maybe we should well, discuss that in another We should. Podcast. We've got one last thing. Mary Black. So, this is quite interesting. This was a tweet that... We were discussing this earlier, just before we came on the podcast. I was going to say on air, but <laughs> I'm not sure we're on it. Are we on air? No, I don't know. <laughs> but we're saying Mary Black. She was she was the you know she was in the Daily Mail, the Daily Express, and everything. She yep. was going to be the most horrible thing. We run her, we run her thirteen year old tweets where she called people names and drinking 
and it was the, the press were like, "This is the youngest, most ridiculous MP. She's going to ruin the the whole aesthetic of Westminster." She's now the deputy leader of the third largest party. Yeah, she is, you know, of considerable heft mm-hmm. in the in the the rankings of people in the chamber. However, what have we heard from Mary Black in her three elections? Like, she's now part of the furniture, isn't she? You know, it's interesting because I think at the very start, I think I, I mentioned the other day in a tweet, there was the you know the famous quote she used, well, the Tony Benn quote about you mm. know the political weather vane, like you know posts and weather vanes. But you know, she can deliver, she can deliver a speech. But you know, beyond that, what have we actually seen? Substantially from yeah. from Mary Black, and you know somebody who we're not talking about I mean, constituency work. It's worth noting for anybody listening. Yeah. Along. We're not. She she may be a great constituency MP. I have yeah, no idea. I, but she's not our constituency MP. So yeah. so we we can comment that we're really good actually. Anybody who is in my constituency would 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 feed that back. And just Stevens. to get yeah, and Stevens just to get the kind of full picture because it's always interesting to see where do or people come spend on if their... you're listening, Mary. Yeah, or, or Stephen, <laughs> or Alison. In fact, anyone yeah. who wants to come on, just tag us. We're yeah. more than welcome to have you on. Absolutely. You're more than welcome. Yeah. You might have to sit in a car park and <laughs> a microphone between us, but you're more than welcome on the show. Yeah. But um, so it's good to know where an MP or an elected member, MP, MSP, whatever. Um, you know, spends their time where they, where they put their resources. You know, there's some really good constituency MPs that just you know get their head down and do that, and you know they maybe don't set the heather and fire in Westminster, but actually you know they just they do the work. But I don't know. I would say that as somebody who has it's quite a young ticket because Stephen Flynn's yeah. kind of thirty four or something. Yeah. And Mary Black, I know, was the youngest yeah. um, elected MP in twenty fifteen. So that's what seven, seven nearly eight years on. But. You know, in that time, going going straight from uni, which I believe she finished her degree when she was actually at Parliament. I think she used yeah. uni, the library, Commons Library, whatever. Um, you know, I think all the things that I've learned over the years, and you know, an academic career, mm-hmm. and what I knew then, and blah blah. blah. You know, from, from a leadership point of view of actually representing, you know, a group, a, a reasonable sized group. I mean, it's 44, mm-hmm. 44 quite senior yeah, yeah. people. Um, you know, what, what, where's the experience there to do that? I'm not saying, you know, age, yeah. age should be a barrier whatsoever, but... And we do need more younger politicians. We do, we do absolutely need more younger politicians, but I but do... But it, it, does, it does feel like... It does feel almost like the reverse Kate Forbes. Kate Forbes, one of the youngest MSPs. Yes, yeah. And Kate Forbes, you know, the Derek Mackay thing hit, and then the next day Kate Forbes had to go out and rescue the show. And did. And did. And yep. I think that everybody sees that as a really, oh, well, look at the experience, look at how fantastic this went on. Yeah. And then I think Mary Black, again, was, was rumoured to be this great earth shaker. So if I was, you know, and again, absolutely willing to kind of like learn more, but... If I were, I think probably general people's impression of Mary Black is the kind of barnstorming speeches. Yeah. Now that takes you to a point, but actually in many ways that's more of the leader's job to do that at yeah. PMQs, which is now Stephen Flynn. Flynn's job. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what is what is the role of the deputy? I mean, what did Kirsten Oswald do as the deputy? I hope we're wrong. I hope I hope Stephen Flynn and Mary Black are about to inject great yeah. movement. Because I'd heard before that Mary Black was quite disincentivised by the, the... I don't know how true it was, but this mm-hmm. was... The murmurs where Mary personally felt that she'd been sidelined and, you know... But what, is, what does that actually mean, though? Because, yeah. I mean, one of the things I think is an interesting dynamic from... Um, you know where this leaves you know the first minister mm-hmm. you know there's always been kind of like you know rumours of like you know trying to close people down and stop people going to Hollywood and stuff that yeah. you know were maybe felt to be a threat to leadership Mary Black you know and certainly early days was very much touted by a lot of people as oh she's 
fantastic she'll be the next first minister so this could be a really interesting dynamic to see how that plays out is it is this the start of the i mean we blogged about is can surgeon save her premiership you can read it on vivacost.com but yeah is this the start uh is there more i mean everybody thought joanna cherry would be the great contender there and you know joanna didn't enter i mean to be fair i wouldn't if i was joanna cherry I would not have stood for no. this because it's if you were to be the future party leader and first minister of Scotland, first of all, you've got to get out of that parliament and into the other parliament. Yeah. You've... Well, there's also the fact that she's got a very serious job as a chair of the Joint Committee of Human Rights, and there's a huge. I mean, with the, with the Tories in charge of a, you know, it's not quite an eight yeah. seat majority now, but you know, the human rights and we're out of Europe is, is a real concern. But there's a whole. But even if we skip, even if we skip past how important human rights are and it is such a huge committee to be on the Westminster the fact is and I I don't know if anybody realised this she had to be voted on by the Lib Dems Mm -hmm. the Labour Party the Tories to get in she had I mean she had to carry the other opposition parties the government party the, the, the official opposition party and she was seen as somebody who was credible, who had the background through being, uh, which was a QC at the time, but a KC mm-hmm. now. You know, she was seen as an influential lawyer, yeah. one that's taken on the government and one. And she had that respect from across the chamber. Yeah. And led, um, led a, you know, party to Strasbourg, mm-hmm. you know, the Rwanda flights. You know, things that were, like, really yeah. key. You know, having that, you know, legal background. And the international recognition that, you know, we've always talked about, about, you know, how do we... You know, cover all the base what are all the things that Scottish independence has to do mm. and you know one of the things that I think people forget this is not about winning a vote a transactional vote this is about what happens next as yeah. much as anything how do you negotiate you know the best position for Scotland as a new nation you know to, to leave a union and come out you know with with a very good platform to thrive and that's where you need people that can negotiate that's where you need people that can build consensus you know i talked before about my old msp bruce crawford who was a great consensus builder you know just under the wire just you know didn't mm-hmm. you know blow your own trumpet whatsoever but at the the minority government in 2007 i would i would argue that was the most successful parliament that we've ever had in scotland bruce crawford i believe was the 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 drafter the man who put together the section 30 request yeah. i think he actually was the the, the kind of chair yeah. on that yeah. however we're now at 46 minutes which is a grand 60 minutes beyond our stop time where we're going to go so thank you very much everybody for joining us you've been listening to the viva cost podcast on this very special and very rapid second podcast following the news of gordon brown's great intervention the constitutional debate while basically forcing it on the whole of the uk if they get elected only with the majority seats and secondly on the snp's decision to change their westminster leader I've yep. been Graham Spence. I've been Alison Graham. Thank you and good night. We have fi- we are finishing recording this at ten to eleven in the Livingston shopping outlet <laughs> um, car park. So if what? anybody is here tonight, because there's a couple of people that are wondering why there's two people with microphones sitting in a car park. This <laughs> this was a rapid show as quick as we could get it done, and the internet and everything befalled us. So yeah. thank you and good night You're, in fact I can't say good night because this will come out about five minutes past midnight so it'll be good morning to you <laughs> goodbye bye